Big Swinging Stocks acknowledges the traditional custodians of Australia's lands, skies and waterways and pays respects to elders past, present and emerging. This podcast is brought to you by SelfWealth and operates under AFSL number 421789 as general advice only. Because we can't take into account your personal objectives or financial situation, you should seek independent professional financial advice before making any investment decision. For more information and our financial disclosure statement, check the show notes. You're a financial journalist, you're a CEO. I could lose my job. The data drives inertia. To build our boys to be strong. It's such a wonderful lesson. It is growing, it is improving. Removing the structural barriers. Are women progressing financially or not? The assumption that women are better carers. The art of mindful gardening. Women on every single board. When I was a little girl, I was told you can be anything you want to be. I didn't quite see the asterisk, which said, as long as you understand that on average, women earn 14.1% less than men. And so you'll need to work an extra 60 days per financial year to catch up. But in saying that, women made up 45% of new retail investors in the 12 months to March of 2021. Yes, ladies. And while that stat makes all of us at SelfWealth really excited, financial inequality amongst the genders still has a way to go. Luckily, there's Bianca Harchie Hazelman and Financy to help. With an incredible career spanning years in financial journalism and now as CEO of Financy, we're in good hands today with Bianca and her team, who are on a mission to rewrite the book on gender inequality. Welcome to the show, Bianca. Lovely to be talking with you today. As we do with everyone on the show, I love to ask, what was your first investing memory? Yeah, my first memory was not so much about the typical way to invest, but it was a lesson around investing um, that really got me thinking. I was working for the ABC as a radio journalist at that point in time for the far south coast and doing a little bit for ABC TV on Stateline. And I was posted down there and all my living expenses were pretty much covered. It was a really great gig. It was awesome, actually. Great people. And I just loved being working in radio, radio news. Um, and it wasn't long after the, there were big fires down in Canberra. There was lots happening um, in a journalistic sense that really had me interested. And I was getting all this money and I didn't really need to spend anything. And, and I, at that point in time, wasn't that interested in fashion. I've kind of always been a bit of a practical girl in terms of fashion, even though I love it. So I really wasn't spending a lot. I had my own car and blah, blah, blah. And I had all this money that was just accumulating. It's such a nice thing to think about now, just accumulating, and I didn't need to spend it. Um, and the shops down there, you know, things weren't open on weekends, so it was uh, there wasn't really much to be doing. Online shopping wasn't huge then. God, I'm showing my age. And I paid out my car loan when really what I should have done is use that money. It was about 15000 and I had bought recently a brand new car. So I paid that out and I felt so good about it. I was advised to do that by my father at the time who was more of a conservative investor. And I really shouldn't have done that. I actually should have used that money to buy property. And I often think about that and the lessons that I'd share with my own children about debt reduction and we're often told, you know, pay down your debts first. And I get it. It brings you a, you know, a, a sense of freedom. And it certainly did. But I would have done that differently. I would have kept that debt going. It wasn't much servicing it. 
and use those bigger funds to invest in property, um, which at that time was just about, a, was before a, a number of booms that had taken place. So that was my first run in with investing. And it really was a lesson on how to invest and the importance of taking a little bit of risk, which I am big on, not being afraid to delve in a little bit and thinking to yourself, okay, what's the worst that's going to happen? I'm going to have to sell this property. I'm going to have to lose my deposit, things like that, as opposed to I'm selling down the car loan. I'm going to, I could lose my job, like looking, looking at all these different things, which at that point in time, young, single, no attachments, just earning income that was strong. Um, the decision I should have made was buying a property. That's such a good reflection because I don't think a lot of people do that sort of debt versus asset comparison or the opportunity cost. Yeah, well, we're told to pay down the debt and I get it because debt can blow out. But there are some points in our lives where we can think, well, maybe I pay a bit down the debt, but I invest the other. And I really think that if we can look a little bit longer term, and take a bit of risk because of all of the people, and I've interviewed so many people over my life, um, financial experts and um, global fund managers and people who are making ridiculous amounts of, of, <laughs> of wealth, it's the risk factor. It's the calculating the downside and taking a risk based on, okay, well, what could possibly go wrong? And and when you have time on your side and things are healthy and doing pretty well that's when you can afford to take it and not be fearful what I really want that's such a wonderful lesson so is that did that experience shape why you started financing or what was it that was the chrysalis for starting a company focused on financial inequality between the genders well, I suppose um, I got into finance journalism around the time of the global financial crisis, which was 20, 2007, and I just loved it. I love learning about it. I love just filling my brain with new forms of journalistic research, um, and that led to a love of data and analytics. Um, and I started working for the Financial Review, which I loved and I still contribute to on a monthly basis today through a column that looks at gender equality. And I, I don't know, I just, I've just always been drawn to that. But as my, my father was in finance, my mother was in real estate. So I was really surrounded by, you know, <laughs> money talks, asset accumulation, different things all the time growing up, whether I liked it or not, these were discussions in the home, um, you know, from a business perspective. And I suppose that's what got me into finance journalism. And when I started Financy, it was really after the birth of my second or well, first daughter, really, that uh, the idea was there and then um, and it came to life after the this my second around 2016 that I just went out and started writing a blog. And um, the blog's always done really well. It's 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 been a voice for women's financial matters and um, I've been very proud of that. And that led to the creation of the of the women's index, which I suppose is the bigger thing that that we've been doing and, and and I'm really proud of Financy because I feel like since then it's given rise to so many great platforms that have come about and people write more on finance and share their stories as women and and I just love the landscape now 
and watching what people are doing on social media to educate and inspire and get conversations started. It's so positive and progressive. And, and in many ways, Financy's legacy, because we're, we're pivoting away just solely focusing on finance now, um, there's people are in very good hands and it's exciting for so many different age groups now. That is exciting, but I think we have to share with everyone what is Financy and what is the Women's Index in particular? Yeah, thank you. I tend to brush over these things because when you're living and breathing it, you forget. But Financy started And it's as a- so cool. <laughs> I want to give you an opportunity to share with everyone how bloody cool it is. Oh, thank you. Well, well the um, Financy is a women's has been a women's money side, a financial literacy side, as you will. Um, and we started the economic measurement the Financy Women's Index, which is basically a scorecard and a report every quarter that looks at are women progressing financially or not. We're measuring official statistics that look at gender equality, unpaid work, gender equity there, uh, employment, education and earnings, superannuation, um, leadership, board um, composition by gender, all these different things to produce a score that tell us, you know, are things getting better or worse for women? And I'm happy to say that they are. When we look at that Financy Women's Index, we know that they are getting better. But that pace of progress has been slowing, particularly because of the pandemic. So that index report's been going for five years now, and it attracts a significant media reach of about a million per quarter, which is awesome. Uh, and it's really contributed to the debate, I believe, on financial equity and gender equality in this country. Um, on a regular basis, which is really, really positive. We also measure timeframes to equality, which was, I suppose is the bigger thing that's come about as a result of so many economists. We've got about six economists that contribute to the index every quarter. And, and this was a big thing that we developed, you know, how do we measure the timeframes? How long is it going to take to achieve pay equity? Well, that sits at about 23 years, for example. How long is it going to take to achieve uh, gender equity and unpaid work? That's at 59 years. Education and earnings is ridiculous. Hundreds of years we're looking at there because there's been zero progress at all over the past 20 years um, between the correlation of what women select as courses um, to the earnings outcomes there. So it's such an interesting amount of work to look at. And I suppose if, if finance is anything, it's it's really this platform that analyzes just how women are going and the behavioral changes that are taking place to support women's financial literacy long term. And it's, I think, for me, the game changer was seeing all the data laid out because I think a lot of us feel it, a lot of women feel it, a lot of men feel it as well, but we can't contextualize it. It's very difficult sometimes to prove it because everyone has these anecdotal experiences, but when you have the stats in front of you, it's a really powerful picture, especially on the time it will take us if we're going to continue at this rate, the time it will take us to reach gender equality. It's a very, I feel like it's a really powerful, uh, the data drives inertia. Have you found that to be the case? Yeah, I, I think so. It's, uh, I certainly hope that the data drives conversations and just thinking about things, you know, it, it may even drive a bit of fatigue in it in the sense of, you know, aren't we there yet? Um, but we're not. 
we're so far not. And that's why we've got, you know, political changes taking place that are really focusing on well, how do we bridge this gender pay gap, which is very real. But the gender pay gap is just one component. Um, there's so much more that goes into it than just that. But that is a, a critical thing that we actually have the power to change. There's so much work that's being done and there's actions being raised all the time. We're seeing Wajia talk about those. We're seeing other entities talk about those, which is a really positive thing. And 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 I'm confident that the more we can advocate and discuss the changes that are necessary in that one small area, that we will get there with gender equity in this country. Um, and hopefully it'll be a lot sooner than 23 years time. Oh, I hope so. I was particularly interested in I understand that you, as part of the index, look at the composition of boardrooms, which we're always really interested about ESG here at SelfWealth and in particular about governance and obviously the composition of boardrooms and just how companies are run is a critical part of the G in ESG. And I was really interested to see that there are like little bright shoots where for a year from I think like middle of last year to late this year, we had women on every single board on the ASX. And then somewhat frustratingly, one of the a company that came onto the index doesn't have a woman on the board, but perhaps we could get them in touch with financing and they can do some work on that. But I, to your point around uh, there is progress, I think it can be, there is a fatigue there when we constantly focus on the statistics that are a little bit sobering. And I think they're important because they contextualize the conversation. But I'm really, really excited about all the places that we are finally seeing really, really exciting and really, really innovative uh, steps forward. Like having a woman on every board on the ASX 200 is incredible. That's fantastic. And we want to see more of it. We want to see, you know, 30%, etc. But um, I think this work is also so important because the other side of it is to take a moment to celebrate the fact that we have made movements forward, which is awesome. But are there any other areas that we're seeing really, really great upswing? Yeah, um, really great upswing, no. There's, a, there's so much work that needs to happen. The pace of progress in this country towards gender equality is like a snail. It's just embarrassingly slow. The one area that has uh, changed through COVID, though, is unpaid work. And that is starting to improve. And the reason I raise this, even though the pace of progress is slow, the turnaround is significant. And the impact of the significance of that is humongous. Because if we can start to change behaviours outside of policy settings and measurements and tips and tricks, but real in the home, in society, gender stereotyped behaviours, which is a whole different kettle of fish than just having a job summit or um, pay equity debate, those behaviours, that is where we'll see the huge shift in gender equality because that will permeate through all the other areas. So through COVID, we've seen men do more unpaid work um, than they used to. And that's starting to, that's led to an increase in the unpaid work and a closing, slight closing um, of the gender gap in unpaid work. Now, the reason this matters is because whilst women have also done more unpaid work, that ratio has changed a little bit. 
which frees up one of the biggest barriers to workforce participation, which affects earnings, which affects wealth, which affects the ability to invest, which affects what you see and think you can be from a little girl's point of view or a little boy's point of view. So that's probably the most interesting area for me. It's that and leadership. It's like two ends of the spectrum. Um, it's not the gender pay gap. It's unpaid work and looking at leadership because you you need to change behaviorals at, um, at the beginning all the way through and the signal that you're seeing at the very top, in my opinion, to really get societal change. It's the grassroots swells through history that tend to quicken the momentum, I should say, in revolutionary change. So we've seen with Me Too, Time's Up, how these grassroots movements that arguably had been coming for absolute decades, if not centuries, um, but the tipping point was there that led to significant changes. So if we can start to see more of a grassroots change through unpaid work, and if these trends that we've seen because of the pandemic, um, more men working flexibly, the visibility of unpaid work, working from home, all these different things, if that can stay and that can increase, then I think we will start to absolutely reduce that time frame of 59 years, and that will be significant for gender equality. So we really need to see this happening interpersonally like in people's relationships, yes. in the way we raise our children, yeah, that sort of thing. Definitely. That can often be the most challenging. They are. These are the most challenging things. And um, we can chip away at all these measures and policies which, are, which absolutely need to happen concurrently. But we also need to look inward ourselves and our relationships and these dynamics um, need to change in order to free us up to receive the policy mechanisms and changes and measures that are taking place externally. Because if you are, you know, and, I, and I'm trying to be conscious at the same time, there's, there's, a, there's something else going on here in the sense that not all women want to work yeah. full-time. And that's fine. Not all men want to work yeah. full-time. But particularly for women, they're, you know, I, I often wish I had had more time at home with my kids, but at the same time, my brain just wouldn't probably have allowed me because um, I've always been so into work and learning and different things like that. But we also, I think, in in it's, it's about giving women choice, right, and removing the structural barriers that perhaps make women the default to stay at home because they earn less or the default to stay That's at home exactly because right. there's a... a assumption that women are better carers or etc that if women want to stay at home if men want to stay at home people should be able to do that but I love to see it turned on its head and it be a choice as opposed to just well it's the default and it's just the way it is but I um yes. I'm excited I think genuine I choice genuine choice and when we take away those structural barriers I mean I'm seeing it in my friends relationships and in my generation and certainly in people younger than us that the conversation is shifting and I think when I compare it to my mum's generation, those interpersonal changes which I, I see as being so difficult because there's so much sort of societal late, like icing on the cake that makes it really hard to change those defaults, it's happening. It is slow, I agree, and it's not perfect, but women are being more discerning in 
heterosexual relationships about the partners they choose. And that in and of itself is important. I think equally men are becoming more willing to just do the unpaid work in the household and it not be sort of like gold stars for effort, but just, well, we're in a partnership and we should equally contribute, which is really great to see. Exactly. And it starts so young when you set those behaviours in place. There will be generations um, today of little boys who, whose parents actively involve them in doing the same types of housework chores, for example, that had previously historically been set aside for the genders. So the more we can kind of challenge that to say, to build our boys to be strong and say, you know, kind of the odds are you might not get married to your 40 or you might not do you know, you might be the stay-at-home dad or you might do this. You need to kind of be across all these things. And these things are just opening up the conversation as to how we raise independent children. And I think they're really important to, to challenge at the at, at early Absolutely. ages. So, Bianca, you're a financial journalist, you're a CEO. I don't really know how, to, how you have time to do it all. You have uh, wonderful children what are you listening to and loving? Like what's your book or podcast recommendation if someone wants to learn more about all of these issues we've talked about today? I would strongly recommend you get involved with podcasts like this and listen. Um, (laughs) But other organisations or social groups that are actively supporting financial literacy, that's a big tick, you know, reading books like it's The obvious ones like The Barefoot Investor, but there's so many different books out there, um, you know, by Effie Zahos, by Kenna Campbell. Oh, God, I've I've got so many different books on my my list. Um, Money Queens has just put out out a rule of money book for um, uh, young girls, educating them on financial literacy. That's a really good one. Um, I am not – I read books that are sent to me because I'm always being sent them, but I read all the time in the sense that what I go to is research, which is probably going to bore people stiff. I I hunt down um, global research on trends, on on diversity, equity, inclusion. I'm one of those people that fill my brain with with research and um, not as, um, you know, exciting fiction that that probably would be nice to escape. So just some light reading, Bianca. Yeah, light, light. When I do do light reading, like my escape really is gardening. I have always loved it, and I'm into this book at the moment that is kind of a bit of a bible to me: the art of mindful gardening. Where it's just that's my escape. It's got nothing to do with um, financial equality or things like that. But you you need something like that, and for me, it's getting rooted in the earth and just. It's always been about the the balance of nature, which sounds quite um, hippie in a way, but that part of me just, it's quite grounded. I really like it. And if people want, you mentioned getting involved, if people want to get involved with Financy or get in touch with you, the best platforms, what's the best way to reach you? Just email me, really. My, um, we can you can email through the financy.com.au website. We, uh, the business is changing, so I, I suppose I didn't say this before. So we've always been this financial literacy platform, and we'll continue to do that through the Women's Index Quarterly Report, which is great. But we're now taking that a step further. So we're about to launch a product called the Impactor, which is really about helping companies accelerate their equality effect. So if you're working for an organization that 
could be doing better on diversity, on gender equality, on inclusion, and you actually want to play a role in that, then this platform is for your co- your company to do something. So oh. that's where we're at and how we're trying to shake things up a little bit because we focus so much on the individual, which is great. But there is always a risk that you're saying, well, there's something wrong here. And I'm very confident that there's so many players out there now that have got so much rich information that the financial literacy of women is off and running. It is growing. It is improving and strengthening all the time. What we need to do now where finance is at is really changing the way companies think to improve outcomes for their employees, for women, to retain staff, to engage in the workforce and all these different things. So if you are with an organization or you're an organization lead and you want to be part of that diagnostic tool, then come to Financies, especially in the, the months ahead because we're going to be launching a free trial of the product. We can't wait. Oh, you heard it here, folks. If you want to get in touch with Bianca, you can email her. And very excitingly, if your organisation can do more to improve their gender and quality impact, also get in touch with her and you can get involved. And with that, folks, we're out for another week. Thank you so much, Bianca, for coming on the podcast. Lovely. Lovely to be talking with you too. Thank you. And to our listeners, thanks for tuning in. We loved hanging out with you. Bye.